ahead and have a seat. Uh, hey, in a minute, I'm going to have Vanessa come up. Vanessa is staff at Regen. She's a really gifted teacher and preacher that we love having uh, come alongside and open God's word with us. Um, I am a big believer and have been uh, since I took preaching classes in my undergrad that women's and men's voices from the pulpit do something really important. And so even in the spring, as we turn into the Gospel of John, uh, there's a couple of texts that primarily concern women that Vanessa's going to get to preach through that I'm really excited about. And so she'll be doing that tonight. But I, before we do, I, I was going to say this later, but I think this song is really important and gets to what I wanted to say about this, which was that song just said your pr- uh, that his promises are true. Nothing's going to nothing's going to stop the plans you make. Nothing's going to take your love away. You will always be more than enough for me. And uh, so Wednesday morning, we woke up to a slightly different world than we would have thought. And by the way, if you're new here, this is the only political thing that I have said all season. Uh, but we woke up to a different world. And, and I know you. We're a pretty um, diverse community, maybe not racially, though Jesus, help us with that because I would love that. But... Um, Philosophically, ideologically, even sometimes theologically, we're a pretty diverse community, and I I live in that tension well. And so some of y'all were celebrating Wednesday morning, and some of you were in panic mode. Uh, And that's okay. Uh, And and I want us to live that way. The way that we bring heaven to earth is that we still love one another and trust one another and care for one another, even if I'm looking somebody in the face that I know believes on a political level something entirely different than me, because Jesus is still king. One of the promises that Jesus made to us was that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. There's no authority that is exercised by any human governing official that is not shared with them by Jesus. Now again, for some of you, that is exciting, and for others, that's a little terrifying. And in both cases, I would tell you this, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus does not entirely validate either party or either candidate. Um, the thing that I've been really thinking about over the last couple of days is in the Lord of the Rings, the second movie, the hobbits encounter these creatures called the Ents. And Ents are ancient, powerful, tree-like beings, and they meet Treebeard. And the hobbits say, they're in the middle of a war, and the hobbits say, whose side are you on? And Treebeard says, I don't think I'm on anybody's side because nobody's on my side. Uh, and in our posts on Facebook this week, and in our feelings and in our emotions, that I think is what Jesus is saying, is I'm not on anybody's side because nobody is on my side. Jesus is both more conservative than the most conservative person in the room and more liberal than the, other per- than the most liberal person in the room. And so Jesus was always skeptical of the watchword of the empire. When the watchword of the empire was Caesar is Lord, they were skeptical of that. And when the watchword of the empire is immigration reform, uh, income inequality, Second Amendment rights, uh, marriage equality, or even make America great again, Jesus is skeptical of that watchword because it does not fully embody his kingdom. And so our job is to embody the kingdom. And so part of the way that we do that is by living in the political diversity uh, in this community. And so hear me on this. If you see somebody post something on Facebook that you disagree with, when in doubt, don't. When you doubt that commenting would lead to more love, don't. And I'm talking about that with your friends of any kind. If it does not lead to more love, don't. If it takes the conversation away from the gospel, don't. 
if, if, if it, listen, Jesus already reeks to those who don't love him. And if it makes him more smelly, don't. If it makes our community, don't. And I think we do have a unique moment in our community. Listen, the early church never said, look at what the world is coming to. Our ancestors never looked at the world and said, look at what the world is coming to. And they had good reason to because Nero was sticking them on stakes and lighting them on fire to like give illumination to his dance parties. They never said, look at what the world is coming to. They always said, look at what's coming into the world. And what's coming into the world is us. What's coming into the world is heaven. What's coming into the world is a place, yes, equality and inclusiveness, but in ways that you and I don't define those words. Jesus at once shows us that the way that we use our words and our ideas are at the same time over-exaggerated and woefully lacking. Because nobody is on his side, he's on his own side. And so Jesus says, be ambassadors for Christ. Jesus says, point people to Jesus. And I'm not saying that uh, some policies that could be enacted by President-elect Trump, and by the way, do not call him anything but Mr. President or President-elect. I have disagreed with President Obama on a number of things, but I have never called him anything but President. Because you know why? God gave him the title, so we better use it. You see what I'm saying? And so he may enact some things that are entirely counter to the way of Jesus, and he may enact some things that are entirely in line with the way of Jesus, and in either case, we don't care because that's not what we're called to do. You see what I'm saying? We're called to be agents of the kingdom, which does not necessarily mean being politically ignorant, but it also means keeping our eyes on the work in front of us, making sure that our community is one of love and all of these things. And I think in the years and the days and weeks and months and years to come, should Jesus tarry, we may have a more unique opportunity as the people of Jesus than ever before to speak on behalf of minorities in our country um, while, at the, and, while at the same time being skeptical of power. And so... Um, focus on that. Would you keep your eyes on Jesus? Um, be respectful. Let things lead to love. And in all things, just remember that like God knows the next five presidents and is still doing his thing. Uh, and if we are more, the more, and frankly, I'm going to say this, the more distinct we are from government, the better we are. Uh, and I'll be writing more and more and more about this in the days to come. I don't want to. Like, I don't want it. Like, every pastor that I know that's a millennial is like, my thoughts on the election. And I'm like, I don't want to. But I know that we all as a community kind of need some leadership in this. And so I don't know how able I am in that, but I want to do that. So do, but at your core, be humble if you're happy and be, be at peace if you're nervous. That's the way of Jesus. If you're, if you're, if you're over the moon, be humble, and if you are in panic mode, trust God, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All right, so, well, it's 7 o'clock now. We need to leave. Sorry, Vanessa. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Vanessa, why don't you come up? She's going to uh, continue us in our series on heaven. Um, our series on heaven wraps up next week, and on the 27th, we kick into Christmas gear um, at, with a new series called We Three Kings, uh, and it's going to look at three kings from the Old Testament and how they all fail to be the king that we need. Again, perhaps very, very important, like important in this season when we're looking at rulers and authorities. And then on the 18th at our Christmas thing, we'll look at what kind of king we have. So, uh, Vanessa, why don't you pray yourself in and me out, and you take it over. My theology on what's going on with the election is I will follow in the words of Larry the Cucumber in the... Um, 
episode, Where's God When I'm Scared? God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than the monsters that you see on your TV. God is bigger than the boogeyman, and he's watching out for you and me. <laughs> I woke up singing that. I told Heather, I woke up thinking that in my head, because, and before I even looked at Facebook to see, because I did not stay up long enough to, to find out who. But when I woke up, I sang, that's what's going to happen. God's going to watch out for us, and uh, he always has, and he always will. He said it a lot more eloquently, but that's just where I am. So uh, my name is Vanessa. Uh, if you don't know who I am, thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited to have this opportunity. I'm going to pray, and then we will go ahead and get into the Word. Father, thank you so much for um, this day. This is the day that you have made, and we are making the choice to be glad in that. Father, uh, I just pray that you would... Um, Open our hearts to the things that you want to say. Open our ears that we would hear. Um, and God, we just thank you that at the end of the Bible, we read that last page, we know that you win, and you always win, God. And so wherever we are in our lives today, God, may we stand firm in knowing that you win. So God, we love you. We thank you for this time. In your awesome, precious name we pray. Amen. So we are in part three of Face to Face, and um, this has been just, I've loved this uh, this whole uh, process of talking about heaven, and I've always been interested in heaven even before I knew Jesus. I was very young, and I always just had this interest in what heaven would look like, and, and so I remember, you know, when I was maybe five or six years old, and I crawled into bed with my mom. I had just heard about heaven, and I didn't know what that was, and so I woke her up in the middle, middle of the night, and, uh, you know, I asked her, you know, what, what in the world is this, and she began, she stayed up late enough to, to kind of explain to me what it was, and this is the place where, where Jesus lives, and this is where the angels live, and, and one day we'll live there too, um, that we have to do good things, we have to be helpers in this world to get there, and, and that, you know, heaven was this magical place where, you know, you walk on the clouds, and, and so, but one of the things that she said was, in order, you know, when we die, we go to heaven, and, and so I, that was another question that just led into a whole new kind of line of questioning, because I didn't know what death was, and so I, I asked mom, what does it mean when you die, you know, and so the, my poor mother um, had to kind of explain that to a five or six-year-old, and, and the closest thing that I had ever experienced with death is that what that around that time, my dog, Beaner, yes, we had a dog named Beaner, he was this mangy outside mutt dog, he ran away. And that's the closest thing that I had known to death was my dog running away. And so my mom kind of put that together with a little bow on the box and she said, you know, death is kind of like when somebody that you love very much runs away but they never come back you never see them ever again except they're not lost they just they end up in a new home and so that's kind of the way that I you know established what heaven was and what death was and just so you know it was not until I was 19 years old that I found out that Beaner did not in fact run away but Beaner had died and so I <laughs> confronted my mother and told her my entire life was a lie and how could you do this to me and that and that her face because she didn't know that I did didn't know. That cannot be scrubbed from my memory, so thank you very much, Tracy, if that is your real name. So it's, it's hard to think about heaven without thinking about death, right? So we think, you know, in our, it's, it's kind of in our understanding that it's, you, can't un, you can't experience heaven unless you first experience that pain of death. Um, 
And so, but what if I told you that there is a very, there's a chance, and it could be a very good chance that for those of us who believe in Jesus, there's a chance that we will experience heaven without ever experiencing death, and that there is an event that will come maybe in our lifetime, maybe in our children's lifetime, maybe in our grandchildren's lifetime, but there will be an event that would cause the world that we currently know to just be a blip in the timeline of our universe, and that we will just be a blip on that timeline as well. And so we're going to be talking tonight about an, an event that I know raises a lot of questions, and for some of us, no matter, depending on where you stand in your relationship with God, it might bring up a lot of doubt, or you know. Um, but it is a real event, and, and it's an incredible hope that the people of Jesus have, and it's called the rapture. Um, it's mentioned all over the Bible. In fact, in the New Testament alone, it, one in every 23 verses mentions the end times when Jesus comes back. And so this is very, very, very important to the heart of God. And so that's why we're talking about it tonight. Um, so I, a couple days ago, went on Facebook and I just asked in one word, tell me what you think about when you think about the rapture. And so I got over 50 responses, but a lot of them had to do with um, freedom. A lot of them had to do with finally and ready. And uh, some of them had to do with Nicolas Cage. And some of them had to do with, <laughs> which really made me laugh. We got a lot of Kirk Camerons. Um, one of them uh, said uh, home. A lot of them said home. One of them said fear. And that's kind of where I stopped. Because in a lot, for a lot of people, we don't really understand what it is. And so because we usually fear the things that we don't know or we don't understand, that's kind of where our heads go. And so I want to relinquish some of that fear with explaining God's word. Um, we are going to be focusing on uh, 1 Thessalonians and a little bit of five. You can find it on your Bible app um, in the regeneration event, and also you can find it in the blue Bibles underneath your seats, um, and it's also going to be on the screen, so there's lots of places to find this. So I'm going to read the whole thing to start. It's a little lengthy, but just if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes, and just listen. Okay, so this is in verse uh, chapter four, verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so that you will not grieve like the people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living with the Lord, um, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will raise from the, the graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So we encourage each other with these words. Now concerning how and when all of this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day, and we don't belong to the darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be, be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. 
But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. So that's kind of heavy stuff. A little bit heavy to read, especially especially if you don't completely understand what's going on. It can be a little heavy. It can be a little scary. But it should be an encouragement. But in order for it to be a true encouragement... It's good to understand why Paul is writing this in the first place. So um, a cool thing about this is that this is the very first letter that Paul had written in the Bible. So he wrote 13 letters, and this is the very first one that he wrote. Um, And so it was a letter to Thessalonica. It is not Thessalonica, which I thought it was. It sounds a lot like Electronica, which is a horrible genre of music that you really can only listen to and understand when you are taking mushrooms. At least that's what I've heard. So, Paul wrote this letter to Thessalonica, and the reason he wrote this is because he started this church on his second missionary journey. He loved these people. If you can, can kind of picture this, Paul is a lot like Kyle, who started Regen. He loves these people. It's full of brand new Christians who are just kind of on this journey, figuring out who Jesus is. He and Silas had preached the word of God. A huge thing was happening in this area, but it was catching the attention of of these uh, Jewish men who were not really happy about what was going on. And so they they actually said, they're creating, they are turning the world upside down right now, and we don't like that. And so through physical brutality, they caused Paul and Silas, these brothers in Jesus who were missionaries, they caused them to leave. And so this was way before Paul was ready to leave because he was discipling these people. And so because of this, because he was not ready to leave them, a little while after he started to get really nervous for them because they were so young in the Lord and because they didn't, you know, they didn't have much of a leg to stand on. Um, And so he was nervous for them. He wanted to know if they were doing okay. So he sent his friend Timothy over to Thessalonica just to see what was going on. And lo and behold, they're doing great standing firm in the Lord, they're learning about Jesus, they're staying in the word, they're building a community, and Paul is so proud of them that he wrote this letter to them to encourage them, keep on this course. You're doing great, you're doing a good job. Stay the course. And But he also took this opportunity to teach them as well. And so he was kind of hearing about some concerns that they were having because they had heard, because Jesus had spoken, they had heard that there was this thing called the rapture. Maybe that's not what they were calling it then, but they heard that Jesus was coming back and that believers were going to be taken up with Jesus, but they couldn't get their their head wrapped around the fact that, oh no, what's going to happen to the people who have died? Are they going to be, they're going to miss the boat. They're going to miss it. They're not going to get to enjoy this. It's And they kind of had this picture of a bride who dies before her wedding. And so he wanted to reassure them that the dead are certainly not going to miss this event. In fact, nobody is going to miss this event. And so we have three questions tonight, I'm sure that might be in your head, that can definitely get answered in the text that we just read. So the first question is, what is it? The second question is, when will it happen? And the third question is, why is this good news? And so um, we will start with the first question, what is the rapture? And so that can be answered 
in early of chapter, our reading in chapter 14. So it says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So in this text, Paul uses the words caught up, which the Latin version of, in the Latin version of the Bible, it's, it's uh, raptura, which is where we get the word rapture. Um, and so Paul gives this awesome, amazing overview of what this is going to look like. So first you hear this commanding shout. In the Greek, it's more like a military order. And so if you understand God, you know that he is a God of order. There is no chaos when it comes to God. And that's exactly what Kyle was talking about about with the election and with crazy things that could happen. Nothing goes past God's vision. He is a God of order and not a God of chaos. And so he is in this process as well. It's a military order. It's an order that says something's going to happen and we're all to get in alignment with that. And so the very next thing that we hear is this trumpet call that's announcing the entrance of Jesus. This is something that the entire world is going to see. The entire world is going to see Jesus in that moment. Um, then thirdly, we see that anyone who has died before this moment, those who have stepped across that line of faith and into a relationship with Jesus but have died before this event are then going to rise from their graves, which is going to be crazy. It is going to be crazy. The first thing that I thought of was like Michael Jackson in Thriller, that music video, like when he turns into that wolf thing and his eyes go yellow and people are coming out of the, and they're all in their sequence. It's like, that is exactly what it's going to be like, but only if you die and get buried in a sequenced outfit. So make sure you plan for that, because it's going to be amazing. So as a side note, this is how, I don't know, some of you might be kind of waffling between, is the rapture when people say that Jesus is coming back? Is this the second coming? This is how we can differentiate between the two. They're not the same. The rapture is when Jesus meets us. He never touches down on the ground. The second coming is when this massive, amazing war happens between Jesus and his army and Satan and his army. And we read the back of the book and we know that Jesus wins, but these are two completely different things, just so you know. So, once those that have died in Jesus have risen to meet him, then we follow if we are still here. And then we will all forever be united with our Father in heaven. So now that we know what the rapture is, the next question is probably when is this going to happen? And you can find that in chapter 5. He says, now concerning how and when all of this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And then there will be no escape. So for those people who are not prepared, this is going to be, it'll probably be pretty terrifying. If you're a homeowner in this place, uh, you don't really know if or when your home is going to be broken into. But if you're a good homeowner, you're probably going to be prepared as much as you possibly can for something like that. And so, but then there's those of us who are like in blissful ignorance that there's nothing like that is ever going to happen. So there's nothing really to prepare for. So it's the people who keep their doors unlocked 
and their windows wide open, and they keep their valuables way out in the open for anybody to steal. These are the people in the world who will not acknowledge that Jesus is real. They will not acknowledge that Jesus is true, and they will not begin a relationship with him. But there's also people who do acknowledge that Jesus is real, uh, and, and they still choose to kind of live the way that they want. It's the people in the world who think that good deeds will get you into heaven or that they are close to Jesus, but really they're very far away. And that's a scary thing if you think that you are set and you think you're good, but Jesus is saying, no, listen, we are. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. And so these are the people who are not prepared for this moment. But then Paul continues, he said, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert, be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So Paul explains this person who is prepared. It's the person who may or may not know that their house is going to get broken into, but it's the person who sits on the front porch with a shotgun, right? Like it's the person who's totally prepared for something to happen. It's the people who, who are completely confident in their relationship with Jesus, completely confident in the God that they serve. They stay in the word. They stay in constant communication with Jesus. They stay in a communication or um, a community of believers. These are the people who are absolutely prepared. And Paul, he encouraged the believers that though the rapture is going to be crazy, it's going to be quick, it's going to be the blink of an eye, and it's going to cause terror in some people. For us, for those of us who are confident, it's going to be like euphoric excitement. It's going to be an incredible experience when it happens. But truly the only way to know that we are going to be on that train to Jesus is being clear-headed, living in the light, being sober in his word, being uh, constant in our actions uh, towards Jesus, not drunk on bad decisions and quick flesh-pleasing like it's so easy to do, but being steadfast. Every single decision that we make is one step closer to Jesus or one step farther away, right? And so being sober in that and knowing that everything we do has such weight to it, that's how to be confident in your relationship. That's how to be confident that on that day, we know where we're going. Paul continues on and he says, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Speaking of being encouraged, that brings us to our last question. Why is this good news? And so you might be asking why the people who have already died even need to experience the rapture. Aren't they in heaven, right? Isn't that the hope that we have, that when we die, we go to heaven? Well, yes and no. So just as Pastor Kyle said last week, he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, and that, that is absolutely 100% true. But the purpose of the rapture, especially for the people who have passed away, the purpose of it is to reunite body with our spirit, body with our spirit. So if we die already, we're, those are disconnected. And so when we, if we are alive on that day and we're, and we're taken to heaven, we get brand new, amazing, amazing bodies. But those people who have died already need to be reunited. And this is what Paul says in First, first Corinthians. He says, we have been sown or buried in dishonor, which is our weakness, our frailty, our death, but we're raised in glory. 
So those people who have experienced sickness and death and suffering, they will be redeemed in that moment. They're no longer going to be known for their sickness and disease and their death. Their brand new, beautiful, perfect bodies are going to be reunited with their spirit. And so this means that uh, their story is not over. Their story is not over. It's not by a long shot. So that brings us to our question of the day. So every week we have one of those questions that you kind of ask, like when you're a little kid, like, are my pets going to be in heaven? Or uh, who will I see there? Or who's going to be there? So one question I know that a lot of people ask is, what will I look like in heaven? Does anybody wonder that? <laughs> I wonder that. So, um, so here's the best answer that I can give you. Because we are going to be experiencing the same kind of resurrection that Jesus himself experienced, we can kind of connect the dots and say that our... our are going to be like that of Jesus when he was resurrected. And so if you think about it, the disciples recognized Jesus once he was resurrected. He walked back onto the scene and they recognized him immediately. They saw him, they saw his face, and they recognized him, which could go to prove that when we do go to heaven, that we will look much like how we look like now. I'll still be Vanessa, you'll still be Heather, you'll still be Stephanie. Um, I think that that's actually what's going to happen. The other question is, though, what age will I be representing? So we all have this idea of what like the prime of our life is. Uh, will it be like now? Will we be a bunch of 33-year-old hipsters like wearing our skinny jeans and our, and our glasses? You know, um, those of us who are in the older generation, are we going to stay in that age or are we going to go back to when we were, you know, able to handle like toddlers and only live off of like what they leave on their plates and coffee? Like, is that the prime of my life when we have all of that energy? And I do think that God is gracious enough to kind of take us back to that place when we were at our peak. Because if in heaven and we are the perfect creation, then I think that that is kind of God's idea that he would restore us to that place where we experience that peak in our physical bodies. I think he'd be gracious enough to do that. Um, it also says that there's children in, in heaven, and so I think that it's when we are represented at our best age, or our only age, and so I think we're going to have to wait to see to find out, but um, that's kind of where my head goes with that. And so once we make that trek into heaven, we are turned into these brand new creations. It's, it's incredible. This is, this is where the good news happens because though we don't know what we're going to look like, though we don't know what exactly the age is that we'll be representing, we do know that our bodies will be perfection without ever being vulnerable to sin or to suffering or to pain. Um, we instantly will be brand new creations, still recognizable but indestructible as the world could destroy us. And so this is the goodness of God that many of us have experienced the loss of somebody that we love. Many of us, if you could close your eyes now and just think, you would see somebody's face before you. And But we also know from what we've seen, we know what sickness and disease and suffering does to a person. We know what that looks like on a person. And so the people that I think of in particular are the 16-year-old me with my 16-year-old best friend who led me to Jesus. And she's 16 and she's laying in her yard and she's sunbathing in June and all of a sudden she dies. Just like that. She just died. And so, you know, all of these questions arise as to why that happened or what in the world or why would God take her so young? 
and it was that her heart was too weak or something like that, but that was always a question that I had. Another person that I think of is my grandmother, who, thank God, I was able to talk to her three days before she died and lead her to Jesus, but I also saw what these, what these machines were doing that were keeping her alive and, and just her being not even there, that it was like she, was, she wasn't even there, but these, these machines and these tubes and everything were keeping her alive. I can see what heart disease and lung disease do to a person and you know that it's not the it's you know that it's not the heart of God for somebody to ever experience something like that and so it hurts your heart to see what death and decay do to a person and so this is the goodness of God though that as you're thinking of somebody who's made that transition from from life to death from from this world to the next it might be a grandparent it might be a parent it might be a friend it might be a child this is the grace of God that if you believe in Jesus and you walk with him, or if these people believed in Jesus and walked with him, they never experienced the sting of death. The only people who experience the sting of death are ours who is us who are left behind to, to feel that sting of their loss. But they don't experience that because this is what Paul says. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. He continues on. He says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The only people who feel the sting of death are those who are left behind when our loved ones go to be with Jesus. But this is why we don't grieve like unbelievers grieve. This is why we have that hope even in death, because those that we love will be raised up, no longer suffering, no longer in pain, completely perfect without blemish. That's the hope that we have, that they will experience the resurrection in the same fullness that Jesus experienced it. And that is why we don't grieve their loss like unbelievers would grieve. And it's why we don't fear death the way that unbelievers fear death because there is such hope attached to it. In Jesus, we are whole. And I'm just gonna end with this because this, I think that this kind of pulls it all together. Helen Keller, if you know her, she spent her entire life uh, blind and deaf. Um, but this is what she said when she thought of heaven. She said, death is no more than passing from one room into another. But there's a difference for me, you know, because in that other room, I shall be able to see. Father, I, uh, I thank you so much for the hope that we have in you. I thank you that, though it's so easy to be afraid of the things that we don't understand, when we are in your word and when we understand those words that you are trying to speak to us, God, it no longer brings fear, but it brings such hope. God, that you have such an incredible plan you have such an incredible purpose. God, I thank you for every single person who is here within the sound of my voice. God, no matter if they have loved you their entire lives or this is just their very first day hearing about you. Father, I pray that you would just uh, capture the hearts and the attention of all of us. 
Father, that we would take one step closer to you and that in doing that, God, that we would um, just see your love fulfilled in our lives. God, that every decision that we would make would, would bring us closer to you so that on that day, whether it be through death or whether it be that incredible event called the rapture, God, that we would have such confidence that we know that we will spend eternity with you. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. And we thank you for every good thing, Lord, that you have placed in our lives. In your awesome name we pray. Amen.